All right, Crave, like I said, we're wrapping up our series, Cornerstones. Uh, Back in week one, we talked about Jesus as the cornerstone, a cornerstone being uh, what determines the position and the structure. Uh, So it's it's what charts the course of our life, and we want Jesus to be uh, our first priority. And I hope that's been the case for you these first couple weeks of the new year. Last week, we talked about confession. Confession is a cornerstone of our faith that we should confess sin first to God, Right? We know he's faithful and just to forgive us. We can find redemption and forgiveness in him. But we also confess sin to one another, to fellow believers, that they can pray for us, they can hold us accountable, that we can find healing. And maybe you took that step last week. Maybe you're still thinking about it. I encourage you, uh, confess your sin. Tonight, we move to our final cornerstone. It is community. But before we dive uh, too deep into that, I want to ask, does anybody know who Frederick Mercury Jones is. Frederick Mercury Jones. I see one hand. Do, do you know? No. That's, yeah, no, that, it was tricky though. Yep. Nope, nope. Frederick Mercury Jones. He's not a scientist. No, we'll go ahead and put my first picture up today. Uh, Frederick Mercury Jones, more commonly known as Fred, uh, from Scooby-Doo, yeah. He's responsible for this stupid phrase, and that, I, I did choose my words carefully there. Let's split up, gang. Who has, who has not seen Scooby-Doo? Is there anybody in the room you have no idea anything about Scooby-Doo? Okay, for the one that I saw start to raise their hand and then realize they were the only one, let me just explain. This group of people you see on the screen is the Scooby-Doo gang, and they solve mysteries. And in the course of solving their mysteries, they start looking for clues. And Fred, who's the guy in the back in the, in the white sweater, and that's called an ascot around his neck there. Uh, Fred, in almost every episode at some point, says, let's split up, gang. But Fred's not an equal opportunity splitter-upper, okay? He wants to go hang out with the girls, and he sends Shaggy off with the dog. It's, not, it's a kind of a broad deal for Shaggy and, and and Scooby, but, uh, you know, I, I digress. It's mostly, it's just, it's a terrible idea. And it's not just Fred, I pick on Fred, but how many movies have you seen or TV shows where the, the character says, let's split up, we can cover more ground. I just want you to hear me say this today, okay? Everybody look right here at me. We talk about Crave being a full service ministry, okay? And, I, and not just in a dating relationship way, we'll get to that in February, I promise we'll talk about it. This is a a life survival scenario. If you're ever in a situation that's dangerous or scary, you feel like maybe this is kind of like a horror film, and someone says to you, let's split up, gang. Don't do it. I mean, maybe from that one person who's clearly trying to get you all killed, but stick together. Safety in numbers is a real thing, okay? So I'm just, I'm telling you, you find yourself in a spooky, kind of scary situation. Don't split up. Stick together, right? Like we laugh, but we do appreciate the safety in numbers. If, you, if you've ever gone through like a haunted house or a corn maze, what do you do? You kind of clump up with your group of friends, right? You don't want to be the first one going around the corner, and you certainly don't want to be the last. Safety in numbers. Don't split up. And if we can understand something as silly as that in such a silly scenario, why is it that when we go through difficult times, the first thing that we all want to do is pull back? We want to isolate ourselves and we want to be alone. 
You see, all of us deal with difficult things. This past year has been difficult for a lot of us in a lot of ways. And when it gets tough, we start to put up walls and we think, I can do this on my own. I don't need any help. I don't want anybody to be too close to me because they see what I'm going through. They won't want to continue to be in relationship with me. That's a problematic behavior. If you've been around Crave any amount of time, you could probably guess the verse I'll start with tonight. It's the first thing in all of the Bible that's proclaimed to be not good. It's Genesis 2.18. You can jot it down. We'll put it on the screen for you. Uh, Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So Eve has not come into the world yet. Adam is alone. And God says, that's not good. It's not good to be alone. It wasn't good for Adam. It's not good for you. And I don't know what you're going through in your home and in your school, in your work, in your teams. I don't know what you've got going on specifically in your life, but I know that you're not meant to tackle it by yourself. The idea of being a lone ranger Christian is an oxymoron. We are called to go together, not by ourselves. Community should be a cornerstone of our faith, a cornerstone of our lives. And so tonight, in very Baptist fashion, I have three points for you. They will all start with the same letter. I worked so hard for you this week. And uh, hopefully you'll be able to remember these things. And so the first is this, community shows up. Community shows up. When the rubber meets the road, when the chips are down, when things are difficult, your community will show up. And we'll kind of jump around in the Bible tonight, and for that reason, we'll put it up on the screen for you. I want to look at Job chapter 2, but before we we even really break this down, I want to explain to you what's happened if you don't have any passing familiarity with Job. Job is a man who is honored by God. If you read at the beginning of the book of Job, it's God who praises Job for his character, for his integrity, for his turning from evil, for his faithfulness. He begins to have a conversation with the enemy, and the enemy says, he's only faithful to you, God, because of all the stuff he has. God says, fine, take it away. You'll see he's still faithful, and he is. And then they have a second exchange, and the enemy says, God, he's only faithful because he has his health. And God says, take his health, and you'll see he's still faithful. So Job loses everything, all of his status, all of his social standing, his wealth, his children, The only one who's left is his wife, whose wonderful encouragement is, you should curse God and die. Let me just, as an aside, say, if your community is giving you advice like Job's wife, it's time to find new community. If the people that are closest to you say, hey, you should just give up, that's that's not great. And Job tells her, you speak like a faithless woman. The Lord gave, he took away, I'm going to remain faithful. And at the end of Job chapter 2, I think we see one of the most interesting things in the entire book. And it's a fascinating book. It says, when three of Job's friends heard the tragedy he had suffered, they got together and they traveled from their homes to comfort and console him. Their names were Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Namathite. I got through that better than I thought I would. When they saw Job from a distance, they scarcely recognized him. Wailing loudly, they tore their robes and threw dust into the air over their heads to show their grief. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and nights. Don't miss this last part. No one said a word to Job, for they saw that his suffering was too great for words. 
I don't read this passage to you tonight to give you baby name ideas. Please don't name your kid Eliphaz or Bildad or Zophar. And honestly, these three guys, they don't avail themselves very well throughout this story. Everything from here on out is them trying to convince Job, you must have done something wrong. You must have sinned. This wouldn't have happened otherwise. They have a very bad theology of why bad things happen to good people, something I'm sure we'll talk about in the coming weeks. But when they first show up, they get it absolutely right. It says that they rip their clothes, they throw the dust in the air. That was a cultural sign to show, I'm mourning, I'm in grief, I'm with you in this. And it says for a full week, they didn't say a word. They just sat there. Why? Because they could see that his grief was too great for words. If you've ever heard the expression, showing up is half the battle, there really is some truth there. Sometimes just being present with someone in their struggle, in their grief, can mean more to them than any words. Probably all of us have been in a difficult situation where somebody comes in and they try to fix it. Hey, let me, let me tell you how you can avoid being in this situation. I'm going to fix this for you. And there's benefit to that, but timing is key. If that tragedy is fresh, if that loss is still stinging, that's not the time. Community just shows up. For a week, they didn't say a word. For seven days, most of us couldn't go seven minutes without saying something. To just sit in that quiet, to weep while someone weeps. That's Romans 12, 15. It's a powerful thing. And if all we ever try to do is fix it, we're going to alienate the people in our lives. And, and guys, every male in this room look right here at me, we're the worst about this. Someone comes to us and says, hey, here's what's going on. We start going, hey, A, B, C, here's how you can prevent this from happening again. Sometimes all of us need to hear this, but guys in particular, you just need to say, hey, that really stinks. I'm sorry you're going through that. I'm here for you. You do not have to offer a solution. Just show up. Let me tell you one other thing to not do when you show up. Don't should on someone. Maybe you've never heard that expression. Don't should on someone. When someone is in a, a difficult situation and you show up, you're like, hey, you know what you should do? Or you know what you should have done? You come from a place of arrogance. And they probably already know what they should have done. And what you're saying is not helpful. Sometimes you just need to show up and be quiet. This is particularly powerful in my life. 17 years ago this week, my dad died. Most of you weren't even born. I was a senior in high school. It was completely unexpected. He was 43, had a heart attack. He was gone like that. Parades of people. You know what it's like when someone passes away. Everybody wants to come. They want to offer their condolences. They want to offer words of comfort and support. I'm not here to, to negate that. But I just remember being so exhausted from everybody talking at me. And that's how I perceived it. And what I'll never forget is my high school pastor was a guy named Mark. He came over to our house. He sat down on the couch. He put his arm around me and just pulled my head down to his shoulder. And y'all, I cried and I cried and I cried. He didn't 
try to offer me any theology. He didn't try to preach to me. He just sat there. And he let me cry. I've never forgotten that. Community shows up. Sometimes community needs to shut up and just be present. The second thing I think community does is sticks it out. Community sticks it out. If you're truly in community with somebody, it's not a fair-weather friendship thing that when the going gets tough, they just run off. You stick it out. Otherwise, maybe you're just being a friend of convenience. And we've got some classes together. We grew up together. We work together. Oh, we're kind of friends. But there's a difference between that, which is a friendship of convenience, and true community, which is going to stick it out. I want to look briefly at another Old Testament, old school story from the book of Ruth. And at the very beginning of Ruth, and we'll, we'll see it on the screen in a moment, but again, allow me to set the stage for you. There's a woman named Naomi. She has two sons. They get married. Both of her sons die. And just the way culture was set up back then, Naomi was not in a position to be able to take care of these two young ladies. And so she encourages them, go home. Go back to your families. They will take care of you. I, I can do nothing for you. And the first daughter, Orpah, she, she heeds that advice. We pick it up here. Orpah kisses her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. If you've never read the story of Ruth, you should. It's an incredible story. It's not that long. But the devotion that you see here is special. And if you've got somebody in your life who's at this level who says, hey, only death will break our bond. That's true community. That's different than just a friendship of convenience. If you've ever heard that song, you'll find out who your friends are, right? When you've been in that difficult situation and you know it's, it's not the, the 50 people that say they're your friends, it's the three who you know you can actually count on. That's your community. Community's going to stick it out even when it's difficult. Who in your life do you know you could count on? Who in your life do you know would stick it out with you? And are you being that same kind of person to them? Because as much as I'm telling you, hey, you need this, you should seek this out, you should be this for someone else. When it's hard or when it's difficult, if you're like, ah, I just don't have time, you leave somebody on read, you, you just don't even open it because you know they'll see that you've read it, right? And then they'll know and you'll feel bad, so you just completely ignore it. Are we really sticking it out in our relationships? Finally, I think community shares the load. Community shares the load. I have an almost two-year-old who has learned a fun new word mine luckily his brother is not at a place where he's trying to like take toys from him yet but if I pick up something to put it away mine no I, I get it it's very clear this is yours it's not mine 
That comes baked in, right? Nobody had to teach him that. All of us in this room have some piece of that still within inside of us of, that's mine. We get very defensive, very protective. And we do that with our burdens too. Hey, this is mine. I don't, I don't need you to try to fix this for me. Even as I've started talking tonight about showing up and sticking it out, and you're like, that's great for somebody else, but my hurt and my struggle over here, no, 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 no. You keep everybody back here. You try to stiff arm them. You throw those walls up extra high. You're already sweating going to small group tonight to, to think about sharing something difficult. We share the load. You don't have to sit there and go, mine, like a selfish two-year-old. When one of us in the family of God hurts, we should all hurt. We share that load. It's not something you have to do on your own. I want to look briefly in the New Testament now at the early church, Acts chapter 2. And what you'll see as we read this, I'm afraid, is that the picture of the church 2,000 years ago doesn't exactly match the picture of the church today. And I'm not hating on Brookwood. I'm saying the capital C church. Let's read about it. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who are being saved. That's Acts 2, 42 through 47. When we think about church today, when, like today you're like, hey, I'm going to go to church. I'm afraid we have reduced that to coming into a room, singing some songs, listening to somebody talk for a little while. Yeah, I'll go sit in a small group. I'll give some kind of surface level answers and I'll go home. That's not the picture that these words paint. Notice that it says that they spent their time together outside of church. It said, yes, that they did go to the temple to worship each day, verse 46, but they also met in each other's homes. They sold their property to take care of each other. Most of us won't even let somebody sit beside us borrow a pencil. What if they don't give it back? This is my favorite pencil. I only have one backup. What if I need it later? Or if somebody's like, hey, man, can I borrow five bucks? Five dollars in this economy? Are you kidding me? You know how many times I go to Taco Bell for $5? You're going to ask me for that? That's, that's how we think. And we chuckle, but we've all done it. These people were selling off their homes, their properties, their possessions, and they weren't doing that to get rich and have money in a bank account. They were then giving away the money to take care of each other. Community shares the load. It's a shame to me that we would look around this room and see somebody lacking when we could step up and meet that need. Because community shares the load. It's not just physical stuff. When somebody in your small group's going through a difficult situation and we don't come alongside them, sometimes in silence just to show up, sometimes to maybe be there and actually help, we just shrink back because we're so focused on ourselves and we're so selfish. I think we miss what Jesus has called us to be as the church. So I just want to close by asking you to consider your community. In fact, I'm going to ask the band to go ahead and get ready to come back up now. 
We're going to sing one last song like we've been doing. This will be a chance for you to reflect and to think. Who in your life shows up? Like, without fail, you know when the bottom falls out, that person or those people are going to show up. If you are fortunate enough to have those people in your life, you know what you should do tonight? You just shoot them a text message and say, I'm very thankful for you. There's no great spiritual, theological component to that. It's just being appreciative of the people God has placed in your life who show up. Those people who you know you can count on to stick it out when things get messy at home, when things are difficult at school, they're not going to be so concerned with their own reputation. They're going to be there for you no matter what. For those people who have shared the load, and you know what I'm talking about. You've been through hardship, and somebody's been there to take part of that burden on themselves. If you've got people in your life like that, you need to thank God for them and thank them. And then ask yourself, am I being that kind of person in return? May your community be a cornerstone of your faith this year. Let me pray. God, thank you that you don't call us to go through life alone. Thank you that you have given us the blessing of community. My prayer is that we would seek out true community that would point us towards you. Jesus, that we would learn to love you and know you together. Would you just give us an awareness, God, a thankfulness for those people in our lives who are pushing us towards you? Would you give us eyes that are open to look for people that we can come alongside, that we can share the burdens of life with? Speak to us now through your Holy Spirit in these next few minutes in Christ's name.